0: This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by DexSecure. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Tomas Wakambe about teaching what you learn. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 126. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly.
1: And I'm Rebecca Marshburn.
0: And this is Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca.
1: Hey, Jeremy. How you
0: doing? I am doing well. I actually um, am on vacation for two days. I took two days off uh, of work so that I could catch up on some work, is basically what I did. So you're saying Um, you're
1: taking a weekend.
0: I'm taking a week. Oh, I'm glad weekends. I don't know. I kind of <laughs> forgot what those are. When you have kids, you know, it, it gets uh, gets a little tough to to find time for yourself to do things. But actually, tomorrow I'm going to take my youngest daughter skiing for the day, so that should be fun.
1: Yeah, that'll be really fun.
0: Good on you. So, what have you been up to?
1: I am actually. You might notice my background is a little different. I am visiting my mom well, nice. and some of my family in the Bay Area, and you know. It's always interesting to work in a new place. Super grateful that I get to do it. Um, also strange because there's like four dogs running around, two small children, lots of like trying to like quiet the barking or the garage opening and you know, it just brings back nostalgic memories of like, oh, okay, this is yeah, all right, lots of stuff going on.
0: Yes, well, I have my uh, I have my thirteen year old daughter, I think, holding my dog's mouth shut so he's not barking right now. So, um, anyways, <laughs> um, so hey, we have uh, you know, speaking of new places, although this is not really new for us, we've had some uh, we've had some guests from Poland before, but we have an excellent guest today, and I'm going to ask you, Rebecca, to introduce him because of the pronunciation of his last name.
1: I would love to do it. And I see him smiling right now. I wish everyone else listening could as well. He's like, all right, let's see how this goes. He's like rubbing his hands together. So our guest today is front-end engineer at Steady and co-founder at Cloudash and an instructor at egghead.io, Tomas Wacombe. Hey, Tomas, thank you for joining us.
2: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for, have, for having me.
0: You nailed that, Rebecca. That was good. Yeah. Did that was I? was definitely okay. close enough. All right. <laughs>
1: Um, So, Tomasz, why don't you tell the audience a bit about yourself and then what both Steady and Cloud Dash do? There's a lot of things in that introduction, and so maybe let's break them down a little.
2: Sure thing. So, uh, my name is Tomasz Wakomy. I'm based in Poznan, Poland, Uh, born and raised, actually. So, like I said, I'm a front-end engineer at Steady, among, you know, some of the other things that I uh, do, I end up wearing multiple hats, sometimes even on the same day. So uh, Steady is a is a very much a serverless startup which started in the US, but currently we have employees all around the globe. I think that we cover, I, if I remember correctly, thirteen or fourteen countries. So basically, you know, the work happens you know twenty twenty four uh, times six because uh, we have also employees in New Zealand. So basically, they work in the future. Uh, what we are building is uh, an EDI platform for developers for building in business integrations. And if you are not aware of what EDI is, honestly, I don't blame you because I was not aware of EDI before joining study either. Um, EDI is a ancient data communication, let's call it a standard. So effectively, what ends up happening is that if I create a company and I want to sell you, I don't know, pens, for instance, I, I sell you, you know, a 10, 10 pens and then 100 pens, and then I get... I get so many orders for like millions of them and so on. At some point you want to automate all those business transactions. And at some point you're going to realize that you need to integrate with this thing called EDI, which stands for Electronic Data Interchange. And this is effectively what more or less everyone uses in e-commerce business. Even sometimes even realizing that this is uh, actually happening under the hood. So in essence, it's an ancient backbone of modern commerce. And not only the standard is ancient, because it was first created back in 1970s, so it's like way older than I am, but.
0: Hey, I I was created in the 1970s, so (laughs) I'm not that ancient. (laughs) Late 1970s. Uh, Anyways, sorry, continue. All
2: all good things were created in the 70s. (laughs) In (laughs) in any case, all those platforms were also kind of stuck uh, back in the 90s, where I come from, by the way, because I was born in 1990. And there's like little to no innovation in this area. What we are building is uh, a set of products that allow any developers to build their own business integrations themselves on top of, uh, of, of course, existing AWS uh, infrastructure. We use AWS everywhere, uh, all the time. So effectively, what we allow, you know, customers to build their own integrations by standing of, on our uh, on our shoulders.
0: Very cool. So let's let's talk about cloud dash um though so this is a side project that you um you're working on with Mache is it Winicky is that the Vinitsky we, Okay 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 wow Man, Polish names. I can't do it. Um, I did get Maciej right, though, uh, only because I work with the Maciej, so I know, <laughs> I know that one. But um, anyways, I think you told me at reInvent that actually um, Maciej does most of the work on Cloud Dash, though, right? Like, you're just yeah. sort of a, I'm totally kidding. Um, but no, so tell us about uh, tell us Cloud Dash and what that's all about.
2: Yeah, so uh, apart from you know my day job at Study, I'm also a co- co-founder at, at Cloud Dash, as you mentioned, with Maciej Wininski. So basically, Cloudash is a desktop app for Mac OS and Linux with Windows support coming shortly around the corner for monitoring server applications. Because the, the idea behind Cloudash is that AWS is amazingly good at wide range of use cases. So for instance, they have CloudWatch, which is excellent for monitoring everything, really. So it's uh, stuff on EC2, stuff on, you know, uh, Docker containers and so on and so forth. But what we kind of found out along the way that there's a niche that is missing when it comes to serverless developers. So we are building a laser focused product that allows uh, serverless developers to understand and investigate what is happening in their serverless uh, applications and infrastructure. So for instance, to give you an example, Imagine that I am on on call right now, and I get page in the middle of the night. Our goal is to build Cloudash in a way that this is the only app that you need to open in order to understand, okay, those are my, my metrics, those are my logs, okay, this function has, has errors for some reason, I can click over here and see all the graphs and so on to have a very quick understanding of what exactly has happened. because when you get page in the middle of the night, honestly, you are under enough stress already and you don't want to have the stress of, okay, which CloudWatch tab was that again, that I have those logs that I need to figure out right now. We are trying to make this uh, experience much, much easier. So we currently support uh, Lambda and API Gateway. We want to introduce uh, support for other other services uh, along the way as well. Effectively, we are also using Cloudash on a day-to-day basis. So we are, Effectively building this product for ourselves, while also, of course, providing this uh, for for our customers on a on a monthly basis. Because you can buy a a cloud or subscription. Either you can pay us monthly or once per year, whatever whatever suits suit your need, and you can use it you know as many times as you want. And because it's a desktop app, everything that happens on your machine stays on your machine. So we are not sending your logs anywhere. We don't store them. Like we genu- we genuinely don't care what's in your logs. Like we have, I have enough on my own logs to analyze. I don't <laughs> need yours.
1: So I love that you're one building this in a way to like solve your own problem, right? And then you're like, okay, it's laser focused because I know exactly what I'd want to solve for myself. And I'm guessing having something to do with log storage might be the an- part of the answer to what I'm about to ask. But with all the observability tools out there, how do you describe what's different about Cloud Dash?
2: So basically what's different is that uh, it runs on your machine and we only get the logs from aws that you ask us for so some in some of the other solutions which i i'm, I'm not going to name because this is not about you know naming uh you know competitors yeah. and so on but it's more of a uh, they're going to ask you for, for for some credentials or you have to import all the logs into their system in order to be un- able to analyze them to run some metrics and so on and so forth whereas for us uh, if a system is up and running you have an SLA of you know seven nines or whatever. You have an incident. You only want to laser focus on this particular incident time. You know this hour when the system was down because I don't know US East one had some hic- hiccups, as opposed to paying for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time where everything was perfectly fine. So that's that's one difference. And secondly, like I said, we are laser focused on on serverless developers and this uh, kind of uh, serverless experience. So. For instance, we decided that we needed to include uh, API gateway support and all of the logs that come with it because we were not able to investigate some of our stuff. And it launched literally yesterday. So there we have it. Now we can use it. Uh, we have you know, so many other ideas as well, like integrating with, with alarms. So for instance, if I get a CloudWatch alarm, I should see all of that in Cloudash. Secondly, we want to also integrate with uh, CloudWatch Logs inside, so I can query logs inside of CloudArch. So basically, the possibilities are are endless. And I'm honestly very excited to see where it's going to lead us in the future.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. So I think that's a super interesting sort of approach where it's like all of these. All of these platforms, we're talking about open telemetry and all these other things, and they're ingesting all this data, and you're log shipping, and usually these services will run within AWS, so you kind of minimize, I think, to some degree, data, transfers co- uh, data transfer costs and things like that. But really interesting what you're doing, bringing that all down to the desktop and just using the native AWS tools. And again, you can do a lot of really interesting things so far with, with Cloud Dash, so it's cool to hear all these other things you want to do. But I'm actually curious about uh, you know your opinion or your thoughts, and um, and this is probably part of the reason why you built Cloud Dash um, on sort of like this AWS information segregation problem. Maybe what you know you mentioned all these multiple tabs, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that drives me nuts is if I'm going in to debug a Lambda function, bef- even if I'm just building like a small app before I've got all my observability set up and all these other things. You're like, okay, go to CloudWatch logs, and then go to this log group, and then go to this particular, you know, then search all log groups, and then try to find what it is that you're looking for. And that's on one function. You're like, oh, now I gotta go find the API gateway logs, and now I gotta go find this, and what if I have four functions running together, or they're communicating with SQS? It is the biggest headache to try to pull all that stuff together. And AWS seems to do this with everything. It's because, and again, maybe it's the two pizza team thing, maybe it's just the way that, you know, the isolation of the stacks work, but, This is just a sort of a common pattern, I think, that AWS falls into is that everything is segregated, Um, and when you want to bring that all together, it's really hard to do. So, I'm just curious, like maybe why? I mean, so maybe two questions here. One is that the primary motivation for this just to find that sort of like easy single pane of glass locally, whatever, using these existing tools, but more so, where do you think that disconnect is with AWS?
2: Okay, so. This is um, this is a very good question. A very good points. As you mentioned, effectively, uh, what we are trying to to build is something that allows developers to go into the root cause of an issue as soon as possible, without having to fight with the UI, with the console, and having this mental overhead of, okay, so I clicked on this log group. Now I have to go this. Now I have to copy this ID. I have to paste it over here, because when you have an incident. Your mind is racing, and it's not easy to understand what's happening, even without like the the UI and the experience getting in the way. So we want to get out of your way. We want to minimize the time that it's needed to have an understanding of what's happening in your system. To have you know view on the logs and the metrics and the charts as soon as possible, and it's basically like a horizontal view of of the server's landscape. Because we don't have a you know, product manager that we report to or something like that. In fact, there's only two of us. So there's Mati and myself in this. So we are able to kind of iterate much faster and we are not you know, focused on only single particular service like Lambda. And then we have to talk to CloudWatch team to add something and, and you know and, and stuff like that. And secondly, when it comes to to AWS, I think you are absolutely right that some of those concerns effectively are a result of teams being very independent, because of course having independent teams that can ship uh, software independently, uh, it's an excellent thing because they can move so much faster. There's less friction. Uh, you know, the velocity goes up. But sometimes you need to take a step back and understanding how this entire experience shapes up for for the customer. And you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and. You know, I, I am a front-end engineer. I do front-end, you know, CSS, HTML, React, and all of that uh, in the browser. And I have this un- unpopular opinion that I actually, I do like AWS console. I think that AWS console is great given the constraints that they have. Because AWS is a remarkably complex product and being able to surface that to the customers in, in a browser, this is remarkably difficult. I think, of course, there are there are services. For improvements, there's so many low hanging fruits in the console and so on, but never does it's a miracle that everything is possible for the console. Even though I prefer CDK. <laughs>
0: um, well, you you said something in there that I thought was sort of played on a theme that is also something that I I keep pulling on this thread, but um, it's this idea that the I guess the dynamics of what it means to be a developer. I mean, you said you're a front end developer, but even as a front-end developer, you're probably still deploying some back-end things or interacting with with AWS. Um, and, it, and for someone who even was a traditional back-end developer, this is somebody who went from writing some code, maybe having a test environment to test it in, but then that very much so throw it over the wall and then let the ops team kind of deal with it. And we've seen this change in dynamics now where cloud developers, full-stack cloud developers or back-end cloud developers or whatever, they're becoming more and more responsible not only for their code and their code running in production environments, but also they're responsible for like the services they pick and like, oh, I decided to use DynamoDB or I decided to use um, EventBridge. Now that, even though that's a sort of a an ops thing you would think of, you're now responsible for a lot of that. So just, I guess, your thoughts on the, the visibility into that, how important is that now become for your average developer to almost become an observability expert as well?
2: Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. So I can probably answer that, but by describing how I kind of work on a day-to-day basis at Steady, because I think this is kind of relevant. So we have fully independent teams. So for instance, my team uh, is working on, on our product, which is called Mappings. So this is um, Mappings is a, a product that allows you to build uh, JSON-to-JSON data transformations, to put it uh, very shortly. And you know everything at Steady effectively is written in TypeScript. Everything is written uh, using CDK and deployed using CDK. So I you know my job title is a frontend engineer I spend most of time most of my time on the front end side but nevertheless because we are using this you know single programming language single paradigm of you know typescript on the front end lambda functions written with typescript and also cdk like i said those decisions that you need to make when it comes to you know infrastructure and deploying how do we deploy stuff how do we architect stuff it keeps moving towards the developer Right. So in, in, in essence, I, I think this, are, I think this is good. I, I don't, I genuinely don't mind kind of expanding my horizons because, like you said, in kind of like the before times, before, before I was into the cloud, I was responsible only for writing the code, right? So I was, like I said, I was writing some stuff. I was pushing it to GitHub and then it magically appeared somewhere on a server, right. which I, you know, I wasn't actually thinking about uh, right now. I'm not thinking about servers either, but you know what I mean? Uh, whereas right now, with with the advent of, you know, of, of infrastructure as code and of all of those uh, other technologies, it's becoming, I dare say, simpler to have a greater understanding and greater um, kind of influence when it comes to how your production stuff gets architected, as opposed to joining like a you know legacy enterprise company who has been building stuff this particular way for the last twenty years and good luck changing anything there. With, you know, with CDK and AWS infrastructure as code, we get to create, destroy production stacks in in minutes. And I think this is something that if you are very much into cloud world, you, you keep forgetting about this, that you could create production stack in minutes and destroy it uh, afterwards. This is a, a remarkable power.
1: So I'm interested in, in, at first I thought you were gonna say, okay, the amount of decisions that are now being pushed in the developer direction is almost like an overwhelming thing. Um, And I shouldn't have completed that thought in my head because you're like, I really, I really enjoy the number of decisions that are now like being more um, pushed toward the developers like sphere, if you will. And so I'm wondering if there's, if, if you have a framework or a mental model of, what the right amount of decisions is, and when something becomes like developer mental overhead, when that decision making, or maybe it's decisions like philosophically about how you handle something, or actually the tools you have to use to do it. And the tools are asking you to make too many decisions in a moment that's already super pressurized. So maybe you have like some ideas around like the, the let's say op- optimal mental model and number of decisions, and when something just becomes overhead.
2: That's a, that's a good question. So. I can be very cliche and say, it depends. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but, uh, apart, Go forth. Yeah. But apart, <laughs> uh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> apart from that, uh, I genuinely think that decisions are, you know, ha- having developers make lots of decisions. It's, it's nothing, you know, hugely painful within certain boundaries. So for instance, if you are working for a serverless startup, like, you know, me at Steady, we have some of the decisions that are kind of made upfront, and this is kind of what you sign for when you are joining Steady. So for instance, we are using AWS for everything. So you are not going to ship stuff on Azure, for instance. Like we don't mind the Azure, but we are using AWS. Uh, Secondly, we do everything in in serverless paradigm, right? So uh, it's actually not possible to create an EC2 instance in any of our accounts. I I haven't tried, but I was told that uh, it's, it's not possible. Uh, but when you have a certain amount of constraints when it comes to, you know, the paradigm and the programming language, for instance, some uh, predefined sets of architecture decisions, because, for instance, again, using CDK, you may, your company may have created a set of uh, custom constructs that, hey, we, are, we allow you to make decisions about the library that you're going to use in code or how do you actually write the code and what you use for tests as long as you write those tests because testing is important. But for instance, if you need REST API, this is a construct that you can you know, download from our internal NPM and use that because it has all the best practices and security capabilities built in. Because I know there's, in my opinion, there's nothing worse than reinventing the wheel when it's not necessary, especially when it comes to the stuff like security, authentication. Nobody wants to implement their own authentication stack and so on.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And I I think that again, the ability for developers to make decisions is actually quite empowering. Um, And then putting some of those guardrails in place, like you said, like having some of those uh, boilerplates to start. But that's one of the things I love about serverless is that it's sort of like you can do a lot of different things. Uh, And even if you didn't standardize on TypeScript, for example, I mean, if you wanted to write some functions in Python and some in Go or whatever, you know, you have the flexibility to do that. You have the flexibility to spin things up and tear them down very quickly. Um, And I do like the idea of, you know, standardizing on TypeScript, although uh, the CDK isn't my cup of tea. Um, You know, I do definitely see the power in it. I love the idea of constructs. I love the repeatable stuff there. But if you're a developer who can write TypeScript and now you're saying, oh, not only can you write front-end code, you know, whether it's React or whatever, using TypeScript, now you can write your Lambda functions, your back-end code doing it. Oh, and then, by the way, you can also write your infrastructure as code using it as well, which I think is, uh, I think is a pretty good, is a pretty good model for a company to have to kind of break down those barriers in between or, you know, sort of uh, you know, reduce the learning curves and break down the barriers between different sort of disciplines. I guess
2: exactly. I was honestly, I was blown away when I find out about CDK back in 20, 2019, late twenty nineteen. But hold the phone, I can do infra stuff in TypeScript. Uh, it's, it's it's mind blowing. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, it's not only about um, it's not only about CDK because I remember quite vividly when I saw for instance serverless framework for the very first time, I was I had like two weeks of experience with AWS and then I saw a serverless framework template and somebody told me, hey, this is a declarative description of stuff that we're going to provision in the cloud and they hit like you know SLS deploy and I saw you know all those databases and so on created in the cloud. I was absolutely blown away that you know it's it's possible because as developer with a traditional front-end background, I was very much convinced for years that this is hugely difficult. This is kind of beyond my age. And right now the tables have shifted because, for instance, I see backend engineers going like, "No, I am not touching frontend. Frontend is way too difficult for me. <laughs> I prefer. I'm going to hug my DynamoDB table. This is so much
0: easier. I don't want to do anything on the frontend side." Hi everyone. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, DexSecure. Dexsecure empowers web developers by automating tasks that are essential for every website, freeing up developer time to focus on building. Dexsecure currently has three products to help your team. Their web asset optimizer optimizes content like HTML, images, CSS, JavaScript, fonts, videos, and more. Their third-party optimizer takes care of all your third-party assets, and their intelligent network optimizer enhances the performance and resiliency of your website. Dexecure also has an open source product called Open Dexecure, a cloud agnostic edge development framework. Now what I love about Open Dex is that the developers can jump straight into product building and not worry about dealing with setup and all the other roadblocks that come from the complexity and configurations of other popular CDNs. If you're interested in trying Dexecure's products, you can for free. Just visit Dexecure's website at Dexsecure.com to sign up and learn more. That's D-E-X ecure.com.
1: So something that really, really, really impresses Jeremy and I about you and your work is how passionate you are about learning. And so I want to make sure that we hold some time to talk to you about this specifically. But before we go too far in... Uh generally, as I, I like to do, as I want to do, I like to see like, okay, you know, read some of the stuff that you've published and then see what's going on on your Twitter to see what's on your mind right now. And then I like to go into GitHub. And just for anyone listening, today is February 22nd, where I am sitting. It is 8.35 in the morning. And I know that Tomasz is in Poland, so it's a bit of a time difference. But I was like, okay, what's he been doing on GitHub? And he made 17 contributions today on February 22nd before 8 a.m. my time. And I was like, what is going on? Like, it's not even 8 a.m. And there's been 17 contributions. Um, Because I was like, yeah, 78 repos, sweet, you know, 71 stars, awesome, nice. And then the contributions graph was just like bright green. And I was like, what? It's not even 8 a.m. And so before we go too far into learning, I'm curious if there's any contribution that's like what's the last contribution you made, and like, or what's your your favorite one from today? Seventeen before eight a.m. Mm. is pretty impressive.
2: Um, my favorite one is not from today, so it's um, but but I I I have something that I did uh, a while back, and I thought that was um, quite useful. Uh, when I was, this is probably going to uh, be also mentioned sometime later in the episode, but I also. Teach web development on eCHA.io. Uh, so at, at some point I was building a, a CDK course, which actually I have two CDK courses published, and the first one of them launched last year. And when I was working on this, I ended up preparing a a CDK workshop, which is available on my GitHub account, and it's it's there. It's it's free. Like I don't monetize it. Whatever. It's uh, it's kind of prepared. It I I wrote it with uh with this idea that somebody can just take this repo and learn CDK on their own. My favorite part is that every now and then I get a DM on Twitter with somebody who found this repo and they go like, Hey, this is so damn cool. I've learned, you know, uh, you know, CDK from you, from the, from this uh, particular repo. So I I guess what I'm trying to say is that sometimes when you create content and you publish stuff, you never know what's going to click. So sometimes even something that was like offhandedly prepared for you just, you know, I'm going to push it on GitHub, on GitHub so I don't forget. It's it's mind blowing that sometimes it, it takes back and, you know, somebody else can gain the benefit of just putting some stuff out there. This is partially why I also publish some notes on my blog uh, because I go like, okay, I have some notes. Some of them are actually okay-ish to be published. Some of them are not, I, I don't publish those. But, but still, if I learn something new, you know, it's it's, it's worth it to just publish it. Worst case scenario is that nobody's going to read that.
0: You know, and, and that's a, a really interesting point that you made about, you know, you putting stuff out there that it will click for somebody or sometimes it clicks. And and we talk about this a lot where, you know, you see the same blog post sometimes about the same subject written a thousand different times in a thousand different ways. But here's the important thing to remember is that, you know, you could rewrite a blog post in in your viewpoint or from your viewpoint or how you see it, how you digest it or what your mental model is. And that might be the mental model of other people where then it finally makes sense. Because I've read a ton of blog posts about things that make no sense to me. And then I read one that's basically the exact same thing. But for some reason, this time it makes sense. So I think that's super important. And you mentioned the notes that you do um, you know, so you, you know you're watching a lot of these videos. You you, you mentioned uh, Yen Trey's uh, the Burning Monks uh, step functions course. You um, you know some of the reinvent sessions that you've watched, uh, Dynamo DB modeling with uh, Alex Debris. Um So some of these things, you know, I'm I'm just curious. You know, not only just this importance, I think to you to have the accountability maybe almost you know, to yourself to kind of say like, I've watched this, I've taken some notes, I'm gonna put these notes out there. And then for you even being able to say to yourself, if these notes aren't good, either maybe the content wasn't good or maybe you didn't take very good notes, like maybe you didn't learn enough from it. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on sort of how important it is for developers to take the time to do things like that, to watch these reinvent, you know, the reinvent uh, uh, sessions, or to uh, buy a course from from Jan or something like that, and and to take the time to go through that, um, you know, what what's the importance of that for you?
2: Well, um, I, I think it's hugely useful and absolutely, I, I dare say, necessary if you want to kind of st- stay in the game, especially when it comes to some of the reinvent videos. Because, well, I am a visual learner, for instance. I, I do read blog posts, but I learn the best while I'm watching videos. So, for instance, I end up watching quite a lot of Rainbow 21 videos because obviously I was not able to attend every single talk because this is not humanly possible. So, I end up watching you know, quite a lot of those and learning some stuff and trying to share as, my, as many of those uh, that I find interesting on Twitter. For the record, I I'm yet to watch any bad session from last year's events like all of them were absolutely excellent. Kudos I, to the I think team. it's um <laughs> Exactly. I, I think it's hugely hugely important to be a lifelong learner when it, when it comes to having like a successful successful career in tech. It's not exactly a trait where you I don't know Practice for three months, gain gain a particular skill, and you can kind of fly with that for the next twenty five years before you retire or whatever. It's um, it's it's something else. It, it does require you know, stepping ste- stepping up, learning some uh, learning some stuff. And this is why I also enjoy both creating and consuming courses. Like you said, Jan's uh stuff is absolutely excellent. Uh, I was going through his uh ups course l- last year, and I've learned a ton. Because you know you have you have documentation, you have blog posts, you have all of those fire videos, but very often what you need is somebody who's going to take the time and is going to compile all of this content together in something that is uh, much more streamlined, that is that has order, that has you know focus, and it's so much easier to kind of get in and understand. Okay, those are the steps that I need to take in order to use the server service uh, successfully. Because, for instance, not every single event talk has a live demo. And if they do, they're, go- they're probably going to play it safe. So it's usually hello world ish right. stuff, which I also do on stage. Like, I'm not going to do. I don't know production deployment on stage. Right.
0: Well, and then, and actually, that's a, a you know before we get into the teaching aspect of this, uh, the consuming aspect of this. You mentioned you like videos, um, and, and it's funny because sometimes I will watch a video, but if I watch a video, I wish YouTube had like a four X speed because I have to watch videos very fast. I don't have time for watching things slow. Even when I listen back to this podcast, I put it on the highest speed as possible. Um, but I love to consume content very quickly, and I, I usually scan documents very quickly. Um, so that's why I love blog posts. But from a consuming standpoint, it's not just about the individual video or the individual blog post. You mentioned this idea of this consolidation, this idea of bringing in, you know, all of the maybe not all the details, but at least enough of the context of a problem um, or of a product or service or whatever it is that you're learning, um, bringing that all together. So from from your standpoint. You know, is that is there a balance between that? Because I always find the blog post randomly that talks about some specific edge case, which is helpful. But from your experience or sort of from your I guess just what you like to do um, and maybe your recommendation, do you find things like courses and more of these compiled things to be a better choice when people are are trying to learn something new or for them to just kind of go around and, and find a bunch of blog posts on the subject?
2: I, I am obviously biased because I do produce courses but I would, I would go with courses when it comes to learning something new from scratch. Uh, so effectively, it's all, it's about being T-shaped. You know, you have this idea of a T-shaped developer. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of like horizontal skills and, and vertical that is kind of like your domain uh, of knowledge. So I would say that if you are trying to learn, for instance, like a new service or a new paradigm, uh, buying or getting into, into a course of, or, or a workshop is an excellent idea. And afterwards, like I said, I think that many blog posts are very much um, not edge case focused, but they are focused on like very particular problem. Like I, I don't imagine that somebody is going to write, you know, uh, a blog post that is, that's going to take you a week to read, compiling everything that you need to, need to know in order to use AppSync in production. Right but they're going to write about this one very specific setting or or, or something like that. So for instance, my uh, colleague uh, Wojciech Matuszewski, who I, I, like I said on Twitter, he should be uh, kind of the sponsor of uh, of Y1 newsletter <laughs> because you end up featuring <laughs> him <laughs> every single week. He, he writes lots of blog posts who are short, very much to the point, but you always learn uh, you know something new. Mm-hmm. So it's it's usually a combination of, of those two, but I do tend to start with a course. For instance, when I was trying to get AWS certified uh, in 2019 and later in 2020, I ended up going through stuff on a Cloud Guru, which is absolutely excellent. I, I do highly recommend them because if you want to get certified, you can either pay somebody to give you this content in a streamlined form. This is what you need in order to pass the exam, or you can go to AWS documentation and try to understand which one of those 30 million pages I need to read in order to pass the exam.
1: So I loved how you said learning, especially for tech, or really, I think you you would expand that to all things, right? As a, as a necessary, you use the word necessary. And I think to mm-hmm. build this bridge from learning to teaching, um, there, I, I there's something so special that happens, right? When you start to teach something that you also learn where your own gaps were, or that you learn something new about like, oh, wow, I was going to try to teach this to someone or put it together in a concise way. And instead, I'm now understanding like where my own limitations are and what else I need to learn next. And so to build this bridge into learning more about what you're doing in the teaching sphere, I'm wondering if there's a moment that you could talk about where you were building a course where you like worked backwards and ended up learning something new in the building of that
2: course. Uh, I, I've had like, so many of those moments uh, when I was you know, working on some of my CDK stuff. I, for instance, I had some kind of like a lesson plan because I tried to work backwards. So each one of my videos has a title and description. So I write those first and later, you know, work on the examples and the videos and so on to have an understanding first, what I want to teach. And secondly, you know, how do I actually do it? But, you know, I was was going through those and then I figured, okay, but this might not be obvious to somebody, but what if somebody is not going to enable the setting? What's going to happen then? And then I figured, oh, crap, Uh, they they need to do this. All right, so I'm going to add this additional one lesson, for instance, on uh, generating types for your GraphQL schema. Because, well, I made a typo, it broke my stuff, so it's probably going to break somebody else's stuff. So then I had to dig out, okay, how do I exactly generate types for uh, AppSync GraphQL schema? There's a package for that. I found uh, a blog post, by the way, I I cannot remember who wrote it. I can share it on Twitter probably, but... It was, it was like very short it took me like a minute to read solved my problem i put that into into the lesson so the course got better as a result of me you know struggling for a bit
0: yeah, and I think that that idea of things not being obvious is something. Uh, it's something that we lose all the time. Where basically, you know, you're going through. I-, I do this all the time. Where I'll I'll look at a blog post. It'll be a getting started blog post. You go through like the first five steps, and then step six somehow seem to skip like 45 steps. And you're like, wait a minute, how yeah. did you get from here to here? And you get stuck on those things. Um, but we talked with uh, Eric Johnson about this too. This idea where. You know, you don't want to necessarily be insulting to some people where you want to be like, okay, so now you type this and then, you know, go and turn the power on on your computer. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, get, get to uh, <laughs> use, <your> <laughs> right. use your keyboard, left mouse button,
2: <laughs> right. not right, left one. Yes,
0: exactly. Like, and that can get a little bit, um. Uh, That can get a little bit, uh, you know. Again, it's a fine balance, but yes, I I think that is important too. Where you know, as you're as you're writing or producing content for anybody, that you kind of go through this um, stuff. And so, um, anyway, so you you mentioned, or I guess Rebecca mentioned some, you know, some courses. I mean, you've done a few courses. We were trying to figure out what it was. Just a few
1: though, like a a, a paucity, really. We're just waiting for more. You know,
0: like eight hundred thousand, I think, or something, or maybe two hundred and (laughs) ten, whatever it is. There's a a lot. There's a lot of courses. Um, on there. Actually, wait, um, Jeremy, can
1: I stop you for one second? Yeah, absolutely. I did the math on this. I go oh, and I'm okay. like, you know, let's look at Tomash's courses. And I was like, okay, there's three across and seven down. I was like, oh, 21. And I was like, wait, it paginates. And then I was like, oh, it paginates to seven. And then I paginate over and it's like, oh, it paginates to 10. So 210 courses so far, just instructed, constructed by Tomas.
2: Full math. Yeah.
0: So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the courses that you've you've done? What are they? What do they primarily focus on?
2: Sure. So, I joined Acad Crew in 2018, and the context was that I've learned web development from Acad.io back in uh, back in late 2015. I was trying to find a new job, and React came out at least in my kind of my sphere of influence, and I had no idea what this is. I bought an Acad subscription, and I managed to level up in a month basically i doubled my income at the time thanks to Egghead. so i was very happy that i could have a chance to contribute back and i was i was invited and basically the way kind of Ahead works and all of my videos is that you have uh you have courses which are a collection of you know multiple videos and also you have those uh separate videos so looking at the site right now i have 207 videos uh, published Should Holy crap, over 200, I thought it was <laughs> below 200. <laughs> so I I, I, I have uh, stuff on on React, I have stuff on testing. I was uh, the first person who recorded a course on React 360, that was a VR framework for React, which sadly doesn't exist anymore, but that was honestly kind of exciting at the time. <laughs> uh, I have stuff on uh, AWS, so I built two courses on uh, AWS. So I have built an up with the AWS Cloud Development Kit, which is my magnum opus, and I also have something that I published last year, and it's um it's about building a GraphQL API with with AppSync, and the target audience for all of this is myself, like a year ago or two years ago, uh, when I was sta- starting to get into AWS in twenty nineteen. Actually, I was encouraged by Maciej Winicki at the time to be to become certified as a Uh, AWS uh, solutions architect associate with zero experience in AWS at the time. You know, I, I had to struggle. That was not simple to, to say the least. So right now I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to do in order to help other developers to make it, you know, so much easier? So this is particularly why I tried to, you know, create all all those courses and all all of this material so that, you know, other people don't have to struggle. And so far I was lucky enough to get excellent feedback for basically all of my stuff that, you know, it's, it's useful. Like I said earlier, it's, it's, there's nothing close to having a DM on Twitter by somebody who says, Hey, this particular video, you know, it opened my eyes. I learned something new. I was struggling with this way of deploying stuff or how do I write a, this particular test or something like that. And this video helped me. And honestly it means a lot every single time somebody does that. Yeah, totally agree.
1: So let's say there's there's another you or, you know, as you said, you're building courses for like an audience of you or someone like you in your shoes. Let's say a developer wants to learn a new framework or language or platform today. Um, it, you were inspired by a job opportunity you want to pursue, right? What would you recommend? It's It's been a year now, let's say, or actually a couple of years. Um, uh-huh. What would you recommend they choose today and why? If they were like, okay, I got it. I got I have one new framework language or platform that I have like the time and mental space to learn right now.
2: I would I would probably start by uh, maybe, maybe a concrete example would be better. So for instance, if I want to learn Svelte, which is a, a JavaScript you know, front-end framework, uh I would I would start by reading the documentation. I know I know that we have been talking about courses and so on, but I I nowadays I kind of tend to think that you know you can start with the documentation, you know try to at least skim it, to have an like a rough understanding, okay, this is how it looks like, this is the syntax, this is what I can use it for, and so on. Afterwards, I would probably try to get a course or workshop or something like that. And lastly, and this is also hugely important, to experiment with it. Because, you know, I do enjoy videos, like I said, I, I watch a you know, ton, ton of those, but only kind of passive, uh, consuming content. This is... This clicks for some people, but it's not going to click for everyone. But if you get in, try to experiment with some of some of the stuff. You know, find some problems, and you know to have an understanding. Okay, this is this is not this is not optimal. This is not trivial. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the documentation, or I'm going to find a blog post addressing this particular problem. And last step, which is something that I was trying to do, I am not that active uh, these days is to share it afterwards. So, you know, publish some notes, create a blog post, publish a video or something like that. People tend to avoid writing blog posts about the things that they have just learned and I completely disagree. In my opinion, it's like one of the best times to write a blog post because you have this experience and uh, perspective of 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 a beginner in this particular area. So you can, your content is going to click with somebody who's also
0: getting started.
1: Yeah, it's like that circular teaching, learning, teaching, learning, or learning, teaching, learning, teaching.
0: Exactly, totally. So I, 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 maybe I heard your question a little bit differently, Rebecca. And we did the same thing with Eric Johnson. We asked what was his favorite programming language, or what was the best programming language. Um, but actually, I think that was maybe I, I'd actually like to sort of hear an answer to that in your opinion. Now, CDK, obviously, TypeScript, and and uh, I think you're big into React and all these other things. Um, I think that, and actually, there's Svelte as well. Um, but if somebody is coming into the space, maybe they're a JavaScript programmer or whatever now, um, and they're getting into cloud, is there a framework or a uh, a collection of tools? Like, what is what is probably the best thing for someone to get started? What specific, I guess, framework should they learn? Maybe is a is a is an interesting question.
2: Uh, they should write cloud formation by hand. <laughs> 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 Learn the hard way. Right. Just, just kidding. Um, that's a good one. Because I, I think that it doesn't exist yet. My, my kind of personal mental model is that there's so much to be done in this area of getting started with the cloud and, and learning all of this stuff. I, I saw that, for instance, you know, in, in serverless cloud, you, you guys are getting very close to kind of what I'm thinking about. You, you have this idea of uh, infrastructure from code. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also kind of related to, to, to CDK. This is roughly where I kind of envision all of those frameworks uh, that are going to aim at. Um, because if you want to kind of get started with, with AWS, you probably want to build something from, you know, from, from the get go to have at least like a rough understanding. Okay. This is a Lambda function. I want to invoke a Lambda function in like 10 minutes. I don't want to, you know, spend so much time, you know, fiddling with, uh, with documentation cloud formation or doing click ups, uh, in, in, in the console. So I've, I, I don't have like a very concrete answer to this. I think that the possibilities are, are still out there, but I would imagine that like, a mix between current you know kind of solutions cdk or serverless cloud or something totally different this what i'm trying to say is that this declarative model of building stuff in the cloud this is the way to go and it should be way more declarative it should be in terms of imagine you know 10 years from now you have github co-pilot version 5.0 and I can talk to it, uh, give me a REST API. Okay, there's a post endpoint, there's a get endpoint, there's a delete stuff, and uh, do this. It should have GraphQL, add some monitoring, and wake me up in the middle of the night if something is broken. It should be it should work like this. Right.
0: Yeah. I think actually that was a good answer. Cause I think that's part of the, I mean, it's part of the reason why we're working on serverless cloud, but this complexity of people getting into this. And I mean, I know you had mentioned earlier in the podcast you had said um where it it seems like it's getting easier. And it is once you understand all the pieces, right? But I think getting into it, it is a yes. very, very broad ecosystem that um, uh, is not is not easy to get into. Um, and the DX, the developer experience is just something that needs a ton of work.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because when you log into AWS console for the very first time, right now they redesigned the AWS console, so this doesn't work that well. But I mean, this, what I'm about to say, doesn't work that well. But before that, you logged in for the very first time and you saw a list of all of the services. Where do I start? Right. What do I do? Of course, on the reft- right-hand side, there's a welcome to AWS section. You have getting started with AWS, you know, stuff and, and so on. But it's still remarkably difficult to to kind of get started in, in this space. And that was partially why I was struggling with the answer. Like, where do I start? What's the best framework? Because I I, I don't think that we are there yet. I, I think that there's a tremendous Tremendous potential potential for the next million or ten million cloud customers to have a you know better understanding of how does this stuff work? Why do we do serverless? Why are we are excited about not running VPCs and so on. What's what's even a VPC and you know and, and stuff like that. This is a hugely exciting time, but maybe we will get there in a couple of years. I'm excited to see what's what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that um, you're like, I don't know if I really have an answer for that. And then you're like, it doesn't exist yet. And I'm like, that's a pretty fascinating answer. Like, I think that's, uh, I think you should give yourself a little more credit. And maybe um, to talk a little, to bring this conversation full circle, right? We we kicked off and you told us a little bit about what you're doing at Steady before we dove into Cloud Dash. But let's go back to Steady for a moment, because it sounds like like you're doing some excellent side projects from there. It sounds like there might be some other side projects going on or that people have the ability to pursue and maybe one of these side projects will grow into that answer that you five years from now would be able to give us when we're like, hey, what is that framework? And you're like, oh, it exists now. It started as a side project at Steady. And so I'm curious if you can tell us a bit about even Steady's culture or how you've been able to find time for your side project and whether or not it's woven into your work at Steady or what's how, how that company is being built, or if it's just something where you're like, hey, here's advice for carving out time to find a side project if you're super passionate about it.
2: Good question. So, Steady is a collection of the most talented engineers I've ever met and myself. Uh, so every, <laughs> everyone here is as, as talented as... as uh, I mean, they're as kind as they are talented, honestly. It's a, it's an excellent team. Uh, in my opinion, is the biggest collection of AWS experts outside of AWS. I think that we have the biggest uh, AWS hero den- density uh, when it comes to the company size of all of these startups uh, out there. So because we are building everything on top of AWS, we seem to notice some of the cracks in AWS Design uh, or in, in the AWS DX and so on. And sometimes some of us decide maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe I can you know crack, crack something new. I, I don't want to talk too much about what's what's coming uh for study but i can assure you there are some exi- exciting things coming for for developers who want to build business integrations watch this space uh but when it comes to like, side projects and 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 so on it's it's mostly like i said some of us noticing there are some cracks let's let's start to uh, fix that. So for instance, Rafa Wilinski, who is also on my team, is working on Dynobase. I think he was a guest of this podcast yep. last year or two years ago. Yeah. So he's working on Dynobase, so he's trying to solve the, the problem of you know uh, Dynabase, uh, Dy- DynamoDB, single table design, and so on. Uh, Zach Charles, who's also my coworker, he's working on a tool for, for VTL, which, in my humble opinion, is another kind of area of AWS, which is largely unaddressed. I don't particularly enjoy VTL. I am not smart enough to kind of handle it, uh, and his his tool is absolutely excellent at that. We have you know lots of um, lots of engineers who are building site projects on on, on the side, and you know some of them are you know quite successful, and all of them are, are hugely useful. At least I think that Cloudash is useful. At least it is for me. Uh, when it com- <laughs> when it comes to like carving the the time and trying to understand, you know, when do I do that? I, I think it's mostly about something about something that you actually care about. Because if you are trying to build a product only because you want to raise ten gazillion dollars or crypto, or whatever, but you don't care about solving this particular problem. You don't care about this problem domain, you don't care about your customers, you're probably not very likely to find this motivation, this intrinsic motivation that you need in order to kind of pursue uh something on the side. Whereas when Marty showed me Cloudash for the very first time uh, back in 20, at the end of 2020, if I remember correctly, I was like, this needs to exist. As in, I was getting into the space of serverless engineering and I was a bit frustrated with the kind of experience when it comes to monitoring and logging and so on. And then I figured, okay, this is, this is so much better and this needs to exist. And this, it's, it's about passion. It's about genuinely caring about providing better uh, experiences for for your both current and future customers. And also for us.
0: Yeah, totally agree. The passion piece of it is huge, and some of the projects that are coming out of there are amazing. Um, we were talking about time, quickly, how you carve out the time. Unfortunately, we are out of time, um, so we do need to wrap up, but uh, I will say... You made go by so fast. It did go yeah. by fast. I know, and yeah. you know, the interesting thing was is that uh, my dog didn't bark while I was speaking, so that's good. I think we had <laughs> one little bit of Rebecca's, uh, I don't know if it was your brother's dog or somebody was barking in the background, Four but for the most part, around. we were pretty good. And uh, Tomas, I didn't hear um, your wife's rabbits making any noise in the background?
2: Uh, so they are actually are fully quiet. So to give you some context, my wife and I, we have three bunnies. So their names are Harry, Journey, and Luna. As you can guess, those are from Harry Potter. I'm currently <laughs> failing the negotiation process to get a fourth one uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm against, she's for, and you know, the compromise is that we are probably going to get a fourth one. Will it be Draco? Uh, I'm going renting- to <laughs>
1: Probably yes.
2: <laughs> I'm renting. I'm renting an office as we as we speak, so I have to move somewhere. <laughs> Not sure where.
0: Well, they have their own Instagram page.
2: They do. They do. Uh, they have more followers than my wife and I combined on Instagram.
1: So if we're gonna find out more, if our listeners are gonna find out more about where they can follow your bunnies, where would they do that?
2: Their Instagram page is Bunny Hogwarts. If I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Usually we ask Uh, about our guests. We usually were like, hey,
1: where can listeners find out more about you? And you're like, nah, we'll just go with the bunnies.
2: (laughs) My long-term retirement plan is basically for bunnies to retire me. Like, they have to be the
0: influencer. (laughs) (laughs) I was saying, we have a bunny guest at my house right now. My daughter has a rabbit, um, and she is bunny-sitting another rabbit. And they are of the opposite sex, and neither one of them are... um, are are fixed, so um, they both they're in separate cages. But a uh, lot of excitement up in that room. So, anyways, <laughs> but besides bunnies and Hogwarts and all these other amazing things, um, let's talk about uh, getting in touch with you. So, if people want to find you on Twitter or check out Cloud Dash things like that, how do they do that?
2: So, uh, you can find Cloud Dash at clouddash.dev. You can check what we are doing at steady at uh, steady.com. Make sure to subscribe to our changelog page because it gets updated quite rapidly. Uh, I'm overly active on Twitter. So unless you want to get, you know, half of your feed with my tweets, don't follow me. But if you want to, you can find me at at Lakome. so it's t-l-a-k-o-m-y. I'm sure it's going to be in the show notes as well. Uh, Don't email me, I'm terrible at email. Uh, you can check out my stuff on you know com, but nowadays I will be probably blogging more on clouddash.dev slash blog, because it's our clouddash blog, so if I have something to, to share when it comes to serverless space, API, gateway, lambdas, DynamoDB, all of that, it's probably to, going to land there. Awesome.
1: And clouddash, for those who are listening, only one D, because I looked at clouddash with two Ds at once, and then uh, at one point, and it was not the clouddash I was looking for.
2: We bought our redirect, by the way, so you can do the double D. Ah,
1: ah good. okay. Good.
0: All right. Well, we Smart. will put all of this stuff in the show notes, and I just want to apologize collectively to or to all of the Polish people out there for my terrible pronunciations. Um, but uh, thank you so much, Tomasz. It was great having you.
1: Thanks so much, Tomasz.
2: Likewise. Thank you for having me.
0: And that's this week's Serverless Chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Tomas Wakambe for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, DeckSecure. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com 126. For more serverless chat, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter, at becca odelay and me, at Jeremy underscore Daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.